0: If you've listened to the previous two episodes, you might quite reasonably assume that the Paraguayan economy isn't doing particularly well. And you would be wrong. So in this episode, let's try and understand how a country with a lack of any form of robust democratic institutions and significant amounts of political instability has managed to have one of the highest rates of economic growth in South America for over four decades starting from 1970, and it seems to have stable macroeconomic growth even now. Welcome to this, the third and final Matophile episode on the country of Paraguay. We start, as with all third episodes, with the news. There are only four major news stories that I want to highlight and you'd probably have heard of the first two. The first is that there has been a military coup d'etat in Mali as Malian military forces mounted a mutiny against the government of President Ibrahim Boubacar Keita on August the 18th, 2020. The second is that protests against the Belarusian government demanding the resignation of President Alexander Lukashenko are building in strength and the government has also proportionately started clamping down increasingly violently. We'll cover both Belarus and Mali in the coming few episodes of Matterfile to provide context on both these conflicts. Hurricane Laura has just hit the coast of Louisiana in the US as Afghanistan and Pakistan also experienced flash flooding. Both of these storms are causing major infrastructural damage and power outages, albeit on different sides of the world. Finally, in a piece of rare and positive news, the World Health Organization has declared the continent of Africa free of polio cases. But let's get back and talk about Paraguay, specifically the geography of Paraguay. Just as a reminder, Paraguay borders Bolivia, Brazil, and Argentina and has a total land area of just over 400,000 square kilometers. This makes it the 59th largest country in the world. It's divided quite distinctly between two geographic regions by the river Rio Paraguay. The eastern region is called the Paranena, and it's a mix of plateaus, rolling hills, and valleys. It can be further divided into five physiogeographic sub-regions of a plateau, a plain, the central hill belt, the central lowlands, and the northern upland. The Parana Plateau makes up about one third of this region and the central hill belt encompasses the area around Paraguay's capital Asuncion. The region to the west of Rio Paraguay is the Chaco. You would have heard plenty mention of the Chaco over the previous two episodes, primarily in the context of the Gran Chaco tribes and the Paraguayan dispute with Bolivia over the region. The Chaco is an arid plain that covers nearly 60% of Paraguayan land territory. It houses mainly wild, xerophytic vegetation and it's quite dry, but there are belts of the charcoal that are at slight elevations and around rivers that produce more evergreen crop. The charcoal soils are primarily sedimentary and nutrient rich. They are much more fertile than most semi-arid regions in the world and therefore are apt for some forms of agriculture. The climate of Paraguay also reflects the Rio Paraguay distribution as the eastern region houses subtropical conditions, while the Chaco experiences a tropical climate. The Paranyana region has high humidity and abundant precipitation. It experiences warm summers and cool winters under the influence of tropical and south atlantic winds. There are transitional months between the two distinct seasons and the mean winter temperature is 18 degrees celsius while mean summer temperature is 24 degrees celsius with July being the coldest month and December the warmest. The Chaco, on the other hand, has alternating wet and dry seasons that alternately flood and parch the land and the temperature variation is lower than that in the Paranena. Even though Paraguay does not have a coastline, it has a number of navigable rivers that flow through it, providing an excellent drainage network. The longest of these is of course the Rio Paraguay, which has several tributaries flowing into it. Drainage is especially good in the Paranayana as there are a number of slopes that prevent water clogging and flooding despite high seasonal rainfall. Owing to the rich resource of large flowing rivers, Paraguay is the only Latin American country with almost 100% hydroelectric power generation capacity. Power generation is concentrated at two dams, the Itaipu which is operated binationally along with Brazil and the Yaqueta which is operated along with Argentina. Itaipu was the world's largest hydroelectric power plant until the Three Gorges Dam was built in China in 2012, and it still has the largest power output in the world. The electricity coverage within Paraguay is nearly 100%, and it's quite remarkable considering 90% of the energy generated is, is exported. Hydroelectric power is subsequently one of Paraguay's most lucrative exports and one of its largest exports indeed, to Brazil and Argentina. The use of hydroelectricity also makes Paraguay one of the lowest emitters of carbon dioxide in the region. Paraguay is classified as a middle-income developing country. Its per capita GDP, adjusted for purchasing power parity, sits at around $13, US dollars ranked around 90th in the world. Agriculture accounts for around 15% of its GDP, and most of Paraguay's export earnings bar energy. Paraguay is the world's largest exporter of organic sugar, second largest exporter of stevia, and sixth largest exporter of soy and seventh of beef. Agriculture therefore forms the country's greatest source of employment and Paraguay has been experiencing some of the fastest rates of growth in crop production across South America. The growth has been a result of agricultural area expansion and productivity gains and over the past two decades, yields have increased by nearly 50% while area has increased by over 35%. Despite this, agricultural research and development is still in infancy in Paraguay and is conducted by a public sector department and the R&D sector receives extremely low investment. Despite the ongoing increase in arable land, around 75% of the total land still remains under permanent grassland and there are barely any developments in the charcoal. Despite the increase in yield, Paraguayan production is still not competitive against the yields of better developed agricultural sectors such as that in Brazil. Deforestation has also been widespread to accommodate for an increase in cattle and livestock farming, but there are significant government efforts to maintain the Paraguayan forest cover. Government support for the agricultural sector only increased over the latter half of the 20th century, allowing the sector to finally become profitable. The two big helps were an incredibly low tax which promoted investment and market openness that increased Paraguayan exports. The industry has not yet achieved its full potential due to infrastructure issues such as high transportation costs, poor technology and unequal land holdings. Remember the concentration of land ownership in the hands of a few rich folk? That's been incredibly problematic for the expansion of the agricultural sector, as most small landowners are stuck with traditional methods of subsistence farming. This has not only created a huge informal sector, meaning that several thousand families do not accrue any monetary benefits despite holding small plots of land and this has only caused an increase in the wage gap. The second hiccup for agricultural profitability Has been the imposition of a tax on agricultural export in 2018, which was further increased for large farms in 2020. It's unclear what the effects of the tax have been, but if it is similar to the effect of the analogous tax in Argentina, it will likely decrease profitability of the agricultural sector and might just cause a diversification of land use into industries such as biofuel. The easiest means to help grow the agricultural sector would be an investment in infrastructure. Infrastructure such as irrigation systems that will help increase the cultivability of the charcoal as well as in transport to help drive down the production and export costs of crops grown in Paraguay. As far as its secondary sector is concerned, Paraguay has been one of the least industrial countries in South America, but the sector has been growing since the 1980s. Textiles, clothing and leather comprise the largest manufacturing subsector, and the sector has been experiencing an annual growth of around 3%. To compound the worries of industrial sector development, Paraguay has very low oil and mineral resources to help expand and diversify the sector. The service sector contributes around 50% of the Paraguayan GDP, with the most employment being provided in the subsector of trade. Since the liquidity crisis in 1995, which I'll talk about in a second, Paraguay has suffered from a paucity of credit options. Along with the weak financial sector, Paraguay has a history of corruption and non-sustainable governmental investment which has further hindered growth. The understanding of how the government has tried regulating the Paraguayan economy is actually incredibly interesting. Before the new constitution in 1992, the central bank played a pivotal role in managing deficit payments, regulating the exchange rate and financing public institutions. As a result, there was a high degree of regulation within the sector that disincentivized most foreign investment. A change in the legal framework of the central bank in 1992 prevented them from investing in private institutions and saw tariff on public sector enterprises increase. This was all a part of the large-scale deregulation that the democratic government was pushing for in an attempt to prevent concentration of power with a single power or governmental entity. Other central bank policy changes included the implementation of a floating exchange rate with less institutional fixing, the implementation of a monetary aggregate scheme to distance the monetary policy from fiscal policy, and a decrease in the regulation of the financial sector. The financial policy involved incredibly low rates of tax in a measure to invite foreign businesses and banks to set up in Paraguay. While the amount of credit in the country began to expand as the financial sector grew, Local banks still had poor financing practices and that alongside poor governmental supervision led to the crash of 1995. Several banks became insolvent as a result of poor practices and off-the-book lending which promoted ill-thought-out intervention by the central bank. This led to an increase in widespread paranoia that local banks were incredibly vulnerable. In order to compete with foreign-owned banks local banks started raising interest rates to non-feasible sums to increase their buy-in and a crisis where several local banks seized operations between 1995 and 2003 ensued. The financial hit from the crisis accounted for over 15% of the country's GDP. Since 2003, regulatory frameworks have been reformed to improve financial supervision and these changes have resulted in an improvement in solvency and liquidity of the financial system. A stabilization plan was also adopted to increase fiscal surplus and implemented a tax reform to raise public revenue. The central bank gradually shifted towards an inflation-targeting scheme which was formally announced in 2011. Due to this, Paraguay has been experiencing general macroeconomic stability and sustained growth since after the crisis. The savings that were thus accrued because of conservative fiscal spending allowed the Paraguayan government to pay off some of its external debt which currently sits at around 17 billion US dollars. While this is smaller than other countries in the region, this is still a large sum of debt and the pandemic has meant that credit markets have tightened and with reductions in foreign exchange revenues, it'll be difficult to service this debt. As of now, I'm unsure whether Paraguay has approached the IMF for financial assistance and it's unclear whether they require a debt concession or a standstill on their debt service payments. That said, they have been able to issue bonds on the international markets at fairly good rates according to Brookings Institute, which means that there is still some investment within the region. External factors have also helped the Paraguayan economy grow. Chief among these are the, albeit low, but sums of foreign direct investment that they receive, primarily from the United States of America, and their participation in regional trade blocks. As a member of Mercosur, or the common market of the South Trade Bloc, most Paraguayan trade happens with Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. The Mercosur membership gives Paraguay access to cheap regional trade and allows it to integrate into the already established production processes of Brazil and Argentina. Despite the membership, the foreign investment funneled into the country did not increase significantly and still remains alarmingly low for a country with such cheap production costs. China, Brazil, and the United States of America are the highest importers into Paraguay. US has had more than a dozen multinational firms with subsidiaries in Paraguay in industries such as banking and telecommunications. The total foreign direct investment currently in the Paraguayan economy is around seven billion U.S. dollars with the yearly FDI influx making up less than 1% of the GDP, This is alarmingly low for a developing country considering Paraguay has the lowest tax rates in the region, one of the lowest costs of production and several other structural incentives that invite foreign investment. Investment is still low though due to weak democratic institutions. High rates of corruption, poor infrastructure and low rule of law have been the leading factors that do not allow for the growth of investor confidence and keep FDI in Paraguay at suboptimal levels. The corruption is so bad that in 1998, Paraguay was rated the second most corrupt country in the world only after Cameroon. The public sector in Paraguay is the smallest in terms of contribution to GDP in Latin America, and the corruption alongside high degrees of politicization means that there is incredible amounts of inefficiency and an alarming lack of institutionalization. The fragmented political parties and lack of cohesion in public policy making has only added to the administrative inefficiency of the country. Beyond the possible debt crisis and endemic corruption, there are two further significant obstacles to economic development in Paraguay that need immediate addressing. In the last episode, I mentioned that nearly 80% of Paraguayan wealth and land is held by under 2% of their population. Resultantly, the first of these two issues is income inequality. Despite the economic growth, inequality has only increased over time, and while poverty is decreasing, the rate of decrease is disproportionately slow compared to the rate of economic growth. The government tried implementing a scheme of conditional cash transfers to incredibly poor households, but the monetary transfers were not nearly sufficient to combat the issue of poverty. This has been further compounded because of the lack of investment into the agricultural sector, which means that small farms still make money from subsistence farming and don't yield any of the benefits of agricultural subsidies that are given to large landowners and owners of large farms and large plots of land. The second issue is the presence of a large informal or black market sector. In 2014, Paraguay adopted its first developmental plan to address these problems under the OECD. The plan sought poverty reduction, inclusive economic growth, and global recognition for Paraguay. It focused on equality of opportunity, public sector growth, land management, and environmental sustainability in a move to reform Paraguay and expedite its development. While the plan sounds great, it is far too ambitious, and its unclear how many benefits have materialized so far. The plan, though, does offer policy continuity, which has been lacking in Paraguay. This means that the legislature can now create and pass cogent policy reforms to achieve these specific goals now that they have these internationally mediated guidelines and goals to work towards. This would possibly help overcome the lack of any sort of political cohesion within the country. As far as the demography and education of Paraguay is concerned, most of the population follows the Roman Catholic Church and a small minority of Mennonite and Protestant communities exist. The total population of Paraguay is just over 7 million, and the vast majority live in the Paraniana region. The population is mostly homogenous mestizo, which is an ethnic mix between Spanish and Guarani. The official languages spoken are Spanish and Guarani, and the currency of the country is also called the Guarani. Through the colonial era, Education was restricted to just the rich and the wealthy. In 1889, the National University of Asuncion was founded and through most of the 20th century was the only university alongside the Catholic University. But university education rates remained fairly low until the 1970s towards the end of the Stronato. This was when all educational enrollment increased. This was as a result of an increase in national investment into education as more and more of the national budget has been directed to the Department of Education and Worship. By 1992, the literacy rate had crossed 90%, and the new constitution mandated that nearly 20% of the national budget go into education reform. This figure is quite absurd, but the general sentiment of increasing education expenditure has been reflected in the annual budget and an increasing rate of school enrolment at all levels of schooling. Finally, on biodiversity, Paraguay has an abundance of floral diversity, boasting 13,000 plant species, of which nearly 70% are endemic to the country. They're also home to over 1,300 vertebrate species, most of which are birds. There are a total of 279 threatened plant species and 8 reptile, 86 bird and 38 mammalian species at risk, primarily due to deforestation. That said, the government of Paraguay has been poor at chronicling its wildlife and flora and it's uncertain about other species of both plant and animal life that remain to be discovered within Paraguay. The country has sanctioned a National Biodiversity Strategy and Action Plan. This plan calls for the conservation of natural resources and wildlife alongside developments in agriculture, biotechnology and infrastructure while maintaining sustainable environmental practices the national territory under protection from deforestation or encroachment has increased since democratization. The upstream part of the river Paraguay forms an important ecotone which connects the biogeographic regions of Amazonia and Pantanal, both of which are of great importance for biodiversity preservation. While all political parties have forwarded biodiversity action plans, it will be interesting to see whether Paraguay can expand its efforts of environmental conservation as they balance it out with economic growth and industrialization. A second incredibly interesting variable in this is their close political alliance with Jair Bolsonaro's Brazil, which seems to have very little regard for environmental protection, and hopefully their lack of concern is not imbibed by the Paraguayan government. All said and done, there still exist problems and concerns for economic growth in Paraguay, such as a lack of sustainability and an over-reliance on agriculture. That said, increases in capital and labour have meant that despite all forms of political instability, Paraguay has remained macroeconomically quite stable. Paraguay is an interesting case in development where despite a lack of institution building and low rates of FDI, the country has still managed to maintain stable economic growth. How Paraguay's economy shapes up after the pandemic and whether there will be any political stability and poverty alleviation are all questions that will be answered in the due course of time. For now though, thank you so much for tuning in to the 10th episode of Mattifile. This has been about Paraguay.
1: The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing. But you know better, and your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos.